I'm sure many of us have heard of special dogs being brought into colleges to reduce anxiety during these big test periods, but never actually saw them ourselves. Well, today you're going to hear more about these special therapy animals and how their numbers are growing. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, and I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Larry Grogan. Larry Grogan is actually less well-known than his lovable therapy dog, Scrappy, and that's exactly how he prefers it. This is honestly a really interesting topic that I could see growing from the rare occurrence it is now into something truly huge. Just a couple things before we start. Number one, a final reminder that I will be in San Jose, California, August 4th to the 8th. So if any listeners are out there and they want to hang out while I'm down there, I'd love to do that. And secondly, I want to apologize for the sound of Larry's phone going off during the first part of our interview. It only seemed to go off while Larry was actually speaking, so I can't separate the audio from what he was saying without losing the words he was saying. But it goes away pretty quick and it's out of the way. Anyway, let's help our furry friends to help us. Welcome to the show, Larry Grogan. Thank you, Colton. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. Why don't you introduce yourself for the audience? Well, I am in the real life a wealth management business owner. Uh, people hire me to manage their investments, but as a sideline, I became an author and wrote a story called A Tale of Love, T-A-I-L, Life Lessons from Scrappy, a Pet Therapy Dog. Awesome. So what exactly is pet therapy? Well, that's a great question because there's really a misconception with many people between pet therapy and service dogs. You know, service dogs are trained to do a very specific act on behalf of their clients, you know, their handler. So it could be uh, a service dog is very similar to like a, a blind uh, trained dog to lead their owner around. They could be trained to open up a door, whatever the case might be. Pet therapy dogs, on the other hand, are very specific to comfort. They are trained to provide a release for whoever it is that they're visiting with. And typically that individual is going to be stressed or have some type of uncomfort in their lives. It could be a patient in the hospital it could be a senior citizen in a senior home that is just looking for something to softly touch and communicate with. And many therapy dogs actually go to libraries and uh, allow children to read to them because what educators are learning is that obviously dogs aren't going to talk back. They're not going to prejudge and they're not going to have any uh, preconceived notions about who you are or what you do. So that's where pet therapy is really valuable from that perspective. Yeah, it's awesome. Because the first thing I thought when I heard pet therapy was a service dog, you know, I'm like, oh, these are dogs that are trained for, like you said, any number of reasons, whether it's a blind seeing eye dog, or, you know, just when you see someone that has the official vest on their dog, and they're walking them in public, but this is very different. 
when did all of this get started? Pet therapy has actually been around for a long time. It's, um, uh, it's nothing new. It's just not as uh, evident as you will from a, a service dog perspective. Uh, another interesting distinction is you mentioned the vest that dogs wear. Many service dogs wear vests and they will specifically say, please do not touch. Well, that's just the opposite of pet therapy. You want to pet the, the pet therapy dogs or animals. And so they really got started um, many years ago from a hospital perspective. Doctors began to realize that when you're in the presence of a pet therapy dog, their patients begin to relax. And in fact, it's been medically proven now that in the presence of a dog pet therapy uh, session, your body produces a hormone called oxytocin. And when oxytocin starts flowing through your body, it causes you to uh, de-stress. Your heart rate goes down, your anxiety goes down, your blood pressure goes down. And from a medical perspective, obviously that's one of many things that's very important to start the healing process. And so it really started at that level was to be able to provide a mechanism to allow patients to get a little bit of stress out of their body, think about something completely different, and that allows the body to then begin the healing process specifically. So is the target audience kind of largely people in the hospital settings? That's where we got our start uh, with Scrappy and I. Um, you can go to a lot of different areas. You know, you can go to hospitals, um, nursing homes, as I mentioned, libraries, schools. In fact, universities uh, now incorporate pet therapy in their programs. The 60% of U.S.-based colleges and universities now have a pet therapy program but it's a little bit different. It's nothing specific typically to the university. They bring volunteers in when it's exam time and allow students to come and pet the dogs and relax a little bit while they're studying or taking their exams. Yale University is actually unique in that they have a full-time pet therapy dog as part of their law school. It stays in the library and you can actually rent this dog out you know, for 10, 15, 30 minutes, whatever you want pay a small fee, you go in and play with the dog for a little bit to kind of allow you to decompress. I live in East Tennessee in a little town called Johnson City, and there's a small university called East Tennessee State University. They actually have a full-time pet therapy dog that's actually part of their public safety, the campus safety. And so there is an officer that is assigned to the dog, it's their handler, she takes them home every night and her name is Pepper and she just walks around the campus, you know, all throughout the day. Man, I feel like I missed out. I didn't get a pet therapy dog <laughs> when I was going to college. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> Certainly could have used one. So how do programs like these spread out? How do you get access to things like this? Well, that's actually one of the missions that I'm now on. And there's actually four or five major national organizations that have pet therapy programs established throughout the country. The mission that I'm 
in or on is the fact that there's only 50,000 certified pet therapy dogs in the United States. That sounds like a large number, but if you put it in perspective of the number of students, there's 70 million students from K to university. That's one dog for 1,400 students. It's just an unmanageable number. So I'm actually trying to quadruple that number very quickly. I want to get from 50 to 200,000 as soon as possible, because now you're talking about 350 students per dog. And that's something a little bit more manageable. On our website, atelloflove.com, we actually list those national organizations where you can click on them, find if there's a training um, program in your community. The other thing that I'm working on is trying to actually establish a service organization on campus universities specific to pet therapy. You know, my thought is let the community help your own community, college students helping college students. Yeah, it's definitely a, a, a bad classroom ratio, like you were saying <laughs> earlier. Yeah, it's hard. You know, and again, you're dependent on, at this point, on people not affiliated with the university to come in. So you're reaching out to these people that take their dog and their own personal time to go to the hospitals and libraries and other facilities and also now come to the university as well. And so it really puts a, a strain on what is the current system in place. And so all I'm trying to do is to broaden some horizons, gain more exposure to what pet therapy is and the real value of pet therapy and encourage people to make this a part of their philanthropy going forward. Yeah. Now I've noticed we say pet therapy, but it seems to mostly revolve around dogs. This so is true. It's, it's mostly dogs, but in fact, there are a wide variety of organizations that incorporate a lot of other animals. You may see a rabbit. You may see cats occasionally. Uh, you may see goats. One of my friends in Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia, has gotten into miniature donkeys. And so he is working with miniature donkeys to go to nursing homes and uh, allow the uh, people there to pet, you know, these donkeys outside, you know, when it's a nice, beautiful day, they can come outside and pet the donkeys. Just recently, I saw a TV article where a lady somewhere in California has a farm where she's rescuing cows. And she is allowing people to come and use the cows as their pet therapy. She encouraged them to Go pet them, hug their necks. They're lying down on the ground, lie down with them. They seem to enjoy it. The people seem to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of whatever brings you joy, right? That, that's really the key, Colton, is to understand that animals have a unique relationship or a unique bond that just puts us humans in a different mindset. And you've probably experienced it. You may not have realized it. But the next time you're around a dog, think about how your body is reacting, how your emotional state has been altered, because it will be changed, but it's always changed for the good. And that's really the beauty of pet therapy, regardless of it's a dog or a rabbit or cat, whatever the case might be. Yeah, of course. Um, that brings me to an interesting point, just because I have a very minor allergy towards cats. 
Is that a concern with any of these programs? A absolutely. That's one of the things that everybody's going to be aware of. And as a pet therapy team, that's really a responsibility of not only the organization that you're representing, but you as the handler to know where are you going and make sure that that organization, that facility that you're going to knows what you're bringing. So for example, when Scrappy and I would go to the children's hospital, we always had a list of the room numbers that wanted a visit from Scrappy because not everybody likes dogs. Some people are allergic to dogs. And so they would take care of that for us in advance. But that's a very important question that you raise and something that you want to take into consideration. Yeah, because it's something that's not, and I didn't even know I had any level of allergy to cats until I had one in the house. And I, I didn't realize it for a long time. I was just like, oh, you know, I think my my eyes are really dry or something. It's just like, oh, I got to get the cat to stop sleeping on my pillow. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly right. But those are all things that we must be sensitive to, to make sure that we know if there are any conditions that we need to be aware of when we go on our visits. So what kind of expenditure is there in getting an animal to be certified for pet therapy? There is some expense associated with it, um, and it's going to vary depending on you know, the organization that you're working with. But on average, you're probably going to spend anywhere from $150 to $200, and let's understand what that's going to cost. Number one, you've got to go through about six weeks of training. So the training is not difficult per se. It's just something that you must do. It's a lot of obedience training. So you go through your training. But then that also covers any apparel, typically, that you're, they may want your dog to have, whether it's a bandana or a little badge for the collar to identify that you're a pet therapy dog. You want to identify that you know, this is something that you and your dog are doing. And then the other very important component is that you must be insured. You want to make sure that if there's an accident, you know, something were to happen between your dog, for example, and a patient that um, everybody is legally covered and insured to cover any unfortunate uh, events of that type. So it's not, it, it's not a huge expense. And then you have to be recertified typically after two years. It's not the full expense, but you're going to pay a little bit additional just to cover that, uh, that additional expense for the training. Yeah. I was just thinking about that because you're saying like, you know, six weeks of training and you're getting, you know, between 150 and 200, we'll call $50 worth of that certification and clothing. After that, it's like $25 a week and that's pretty low. It is, you know, and again, depending on the organization, some places have to rent a facility for the training. Uh, others have their own facility or it might be done outside, whatever the case might be. But uh, the training, like I said, is really not that difficult. Probably for Scrappy, the two most challenging aspects of training were one was called separation, where someone had a holder. And I had to leave the room for three minutes completely out of sight. And the objective there is to make sure that your dog remains calm. They don't 
overreact to a situation. They don't bark or cry or try to get out of um, the other person that's holding them to come find you. The second one, they would take a hot dog and put it on the floor. And you had to walk within three feet of that hot dog. And the objective there is to make sure that the dog does not lunge for it, try to sniff it, or obviously try to eat it. But um, as you go by, you say, leave it, leave it, leave it, and just continue that walking um, path. And that might sound like a, a crazy little test, but think about this. If you're in a hospital, like Scrappy and I were, you never know what's going to be on the floor. There could be pills, there could be fluids, and you have no idea what that is. And so you're training your dog to leave those substances alone so that they don't get sick. So that was really the objective with the hot dog. Yeah, I, I think my dog would have failed on both counts. <laughs> she can't stand me not being in eyesight and also will eat anything that hits the ground. <laughs> well, I tell you what Scrappy and I did. We would go with a friend to a Lowe's hardware store or Home Depot. And my friend would hold her and I'd walk down the aisle and just get out of sight for two or three minutes. And what that does, and then come back up so that she knows I'm going to be returning. And that's really the objective. What you have to do is train your dog of expectations. She knows I'm going to go out of sight, but she knows eventually I'm going to come back. And once you begin to reinforce that, your dog becomes a little bit comfortable, more comfortable with your absence. Yeah, of course. It's just normalizing the behavior. Exactly. So what is the cost for facilities to take on? Like, say I was running a podcast studio and I wanted to have a pet therapy dog in regularly on whatever a, a normal schedule is. What kind of expense would I expect? Zero. Oh. This is a volunteer thing. The people involved in pet therapy do it out of really two things. One, they recognize the fact that their dog or their animal has a unique asset about them. Their temperament is such that they love other people. They want to be around other people. And they just enjoy it. The dog themselves enjoy this time with others. The second is from a, our own human perspective. We recognize the fact that pet therapy is significant and that we have the ability to do something for others. And that's where the philanthropy comes in. This is really our form of giving back to a community and doing something that we know is going to help someone else. And that's why I'm really adamant about trying to get more people involved because the, the real benefit comes back to us. We know we're doing something nice, but when we have the ability to put a smile on someone's face that's having a terrible day, it's worth it. And so I'm just trying to share those types of stories with people, kind of pull the curtain back on what someone could expect and uh, see if it's going to be the right fit for them. It's not the right fit for everybody and it's not the right fit for every dog but there are plenty of opportunities for people to consider this and uh, see if it's something that they would want to use to give back to their own community 
yeah, it's kind of just a genuine human kindness if you pluck the human word out of it. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. And, and it's important because it takes two. You know, it takes the dog and it does take the human. And both of them come to that recognition at some point. So if I got, we'll just uh, hypothetical here. I got my dog certified. Is it just you kind of work with the group that you got certified through to set up a schedule or do they, they kind of just leave you to your own devices? Typically it's done through the organization that you're affiliated with. And in, in our situation, it was a little bit unique because the hospital actually organized the training. They wanted people to come to the hospital. So they organized all the training and we uh, participated in that. So when we got our certification, we chose the children's hospital and we went to the children's hospital and we had to go through a little bit more training. They wanted to see us in action. You know, the one thing about a children's hospital or any hospital for that matter, uh, you cannot have a dog that jumps. You don't want that dog to jump up on the bed because you never know where the injury might be for that patient or what's ailing them. Now, Scrappy weighed five pounds, but I could pick her up. And if that child wanted her in the bed, I would gladly do it. And Scrappy would just lay right next to them while they petted them, that type of thing. And then once we got into that system, the hospital actually coordinated all the visits. And that's one of the things that was a little bit unique about our situation. But typically when you get certified, the organization that you work through already has those things in place with the different areas that um, they go visit, but there's nothing wrong with you reaching out. You know, if there is a, uh, a library or whatever the case might be that um, would want a dog to come do some reading, you contact them and just let them know that you're available. And then they can reach out to you and make sure that's on a schedule that fits your schedule as well. Well, and how easy is that, especially if you were in a small town or you know your community really well, just to reach out and say like, hey, I know you have a lot of people in during you know X, Y, and Z days is this something you'd be interested in? Because we have some free time in our schedule and they can say like, Oh, well, I think we can look into that. that that's exactly right. And it's going to be an unusual day when someone is going to say no to something like that. So the people that you'd want to reach out to would be any type of title associated with patients. So whether it's the hospital patient services, child life services at a children's hospital or a nursing home. Again, any title that reaches out to the patient or organizes these types of events would be the individuals that you want to reach out to and just let them know that you're available and that, um, you know, you're willing to come out and uh, visit with everybody and try to get on their schedule. The one thing that's important to understand for the animal is that you do not want to overextend your stay. Our visits to the children's hospital typically were for one hour and one hour only, because amazingly, you will see your animal absorb these uh, feelings from the people that they're with. You know, Scrappy just poured out a ton of love and got a ton of it back. 
But within one hour, she was exhausted. We would come home and all she wanted to do is lay on her blanket in the sun. And she may take an hour nap just to recover from that visit. So you want to make sure that your visits are not overextended to preserve the well-being of your animal as well. Yeah, of course, a lot of things to consider when you are, you know, you're introducing a work schedule, basically, for your animal. It's like they're not used to a work schedule and they're not used to having to deal with, you know, uh, large amounts of stress. Because I assume that is most people that want this service. They're like, they're just under so much pressure. And it's like, you know, even as humans, we feel that from each other. But if you are the animal in this case, like you are right in the middle of it. That's exactly right. And that's very well said, Colton, because you never know exactly what the situation is that you're going to encounter. Every single one of them are going to be different. But on the flip side, what happens is that once your dog or once your animal does it once, I guarantee you they're going to love it and they're going to want to go back because every time Scrappy and I did it, she knew exactly where we were going as soon as we made a right-hand turn and she just started getting excited. You know, she, I would have to arrive 10 to 15 minutes early to give her time to kind of calm down. I mean, she was just kind of bouncing all over the place. And this was something we did for eight years. And it was the same from the very the second visit that we made to the very last visit that we made. Well, that's cool because you get to kind of help your animal find a purpose beyond just like being your furry friend. That's exactly right. And I think that's one of the things that many animal owners don't necessarily think about so much. You know, our animals really have a lot to give. And people ask me all the time, well, how do you know if my dog is going to be good for this? And my response is, do you like your dog? I was like, well, yeah. Well, does your dog like you? Well, yeah, I think so at times. Well, if that's the case, then they may like someone else. And you just have to get out and explore a little bit, go to the park, see what it's like when they meet someone else, go walking down the street, whatever that situation might be, so that you can then begin to see the reaction of your dog around other people. And if that's a good reaction, more than likely they're going to be great at pet therapy. Well, and if all this works out, not only do they get to find some purpose, you kind of get to look like a rock star every time you walk into a room. Yeah, that's exactly right. I, to this day, more people knew my dog's name than they ever knew mine. And honestly, that was the best compliment I could ever have gotten. When you're like, look at all these lives that, you know, my animal helped to touch and helped to better because that one good moment can help outshine a lot of bad stuff. That's exactly what it does. And it's, again, every situation that you go into is going to be completely different from the one before. There's going to be situations that you could never possibly imagine that, that would happen to a child. But yet, Scrappy's going to be right there and make that child feel good about themselves, get their mind thinking about something different. And again, bring that stress down, begin that healing process. Fantastic. Well, I wanted to give you some time to kind of you know, plug the program and your book and, you know, anywhere people can find you. Well, thank you very much. 
Our book is called A Tale of Love. It's T-A-I-L. Life Lessons from Scrappy, a Pet Therapy Dog. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Awesome. Well, people should go check it out. And if you do pick it up, especially on Amazon, this is what I tell everyone every episode, so I'm sure they're tired of hearing it, leave a good review. It is such a huge impact on creators to get their words out to more people. Thank you. That And that's exactly right. And I appreciate that, Colton. That's very nice. Of course. Well, I've appreciated this immensely. Thank you again for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. Remember, if you want to help the show grow, rate it, tell people all the things I always tell you to do. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, or questions from the audience. To reach out to me, email dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or send a message to any of the show pages on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, wherever else. I'm starting to put Instagram posts up with little snippets and quotes from some of these episodes, so I think that's fun and hopefully people like it. But that's all for now. I'll see you Monday for the next hard-working episode. Bye-bye.